Hey, so as you're sitting, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to think about the last time that you found yourself really waiting on something significant for a while, to the point where you got impatient and you wondered what God was up to. And just for a moment, wherever you're, you know, just kind of in, in your mental place, I'd like for you to just ponder that, name it. What was the thing, you don't need to say it out loud, I mean, unless you just want to, you sure can confess it. What was the thing you were waiting for? What was the thing that you were impatiently hoping for, that it would happen sooner than it seemed to be happening? Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe there's something going on, and you want God to show up, and you want him to move. You want him to take care of something. You're waiting on somebody else to get something done. But maybe it's not right now. Maybe it was just a season. Maybe it was during the pandemic. Maybe it was recently. If you ask my wife if I'm a very patient man, she would say, yeah, where is she? She's here. She's sitting. What would you, what would you say, Donna? She would say, no, Phil is not a patient man. In fact, it would be one of the things that we've talked about often, my lack of patience. And so over the last couple of years, God's decided to teach me patience. Do you know what God does when he teaches you patience? Well, he makes you wait. And he makes you wait on a schedule. And it's a schedule sometimes that you can see and sometimes you can't. If I were going to be honest with you, I would say this. And I might as well because we're here and we're trying to figure it out, all of us together. I don't think patience is a good virtue. I know it's listed in Scripture. I know it's a fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about it. But I don't really believe it's worth pursuing deep in my heart. I think patience is a waste of time. That's what I really believe. And that's evidenced by the way I do things. And it's obvious by the way I approach other things that I should be waiting on. I think patience is just, you know, it's for lazy people who don't want to get stuff done. You know, when Amazon came out with Prime, I signed up right away because it meant shipping right away. That's what it meant. I mean, they would take care of shipping. I know it's not free. You pay for it in a thousand ways, whatever. I didn't care. I was ready to get my stuff quicker, and that's what I wanted. And then, I don't know how long ago it was, that I started ordering things off of Amazon, and it said, next day shipping. And I can't tell you what that did to my heart. I mean, I felt like the Holy Spirit was moving in me when I saw next day shipping, this is really good. And then sometime during the pandemic, I saw a new level of quickness, maybe because of the shipping center here in Denver, but it said, you can order this item and get it when? Same day. And I thought, what kind of sorcery is this? And I'll pay for it. I don't even care. I, but if I can get it today, and my friends, they order groceries, they get them in three hours, that just feels good. I mean, there was a stretch during the pandemic, it was about six months long, that I got something from Amazon almost every day. And then a day came, and I didn't get something from them, and I you know, had like a jittery feeling. I wasn't sure what was wrong, but something was missing. And of course, you know, it's the, uh, the euphoria of new things. Patience is something I'm not good at, and I haven't pursued it. And then I began to ponder the things that you and I know, that the Scripture extols patience as a virtue, that God said that he will give strength to those who, what? To those who wait. And I thought, ah, maybe this is why I'm weak. And I read in Scripture that patience is a fruit of the... 
And I began to think, if the Spirit is active in me and I have this attitude about patience, then apparently I need to learn something about what it means to be patient. And so God began to teach me how to be patient. And so he did so by putting me in circumstances where I knew where I was beginning and I knew that there was a finish line and there was no way to hurry it up in between. And I had to wait. It happened recently with his sickness. I was recently sick, had a little infection, had to go into the hospital for a few days. And the doctor sat down with me and said, well, you're going to be on antibiotics for four weeks. And now I have a pick line and I'm administering these antibiotics under the supervision of a nurse that is very much in love with me. And so she paid attention and I was doing it right. But I thought after the first day, I thought I have about at that point in time, 23 more days of this. And a day, well, you know how long it takes a day to pass. How long? It's about 24 hours. And it doesn't matter whether you want to hurry that day along or wait on that day. If you're patient with that day, it still takes 24 hours. If you want it to go by quicker, for some darn reason, it still takes 24 hours. And God began to teach me patience. It really started before that. About, I don't know, six weeks before I got sick, um, I, I got a little toy that I shouldn't have gotten. It was uh, one of these uh, electric uh, skateboards that somebody who's probably around 14, 15, 16 ought to be riding. And so I had this interesting relationship with time. I'm 54 years old, but I think I'm 30. And so I got this thing against Donna's advice. She said, you don't want that. I said, I kind of want it. And, uh, and so I got this thing, and, and I'd had it home for about 10 minutes and I could tell you the story, and I could really draw it out, but, you know, we have stuff to do. But here's what I'll tell you. I was on this thing for about three minutes, and then it made a wishbone out of my legs. And so I was in what I felt like were two pieces on my driveway, and uh, I saw stars, I think. I might have blacked out a minute, and I stood up with an injury. I didn't know what it was, but my hamstring had no feeling anymore. And so God began to work in that moment to teach me something about patience. How long does it take to heal what feels like a ripped hamstring? Well, it depends. Grade one takes about two weeks. Grade two takes about six weeks. A grade three, which I thought surely I didn't have, takes about three to four months. By the fourth day, I was thinking, maybe it's not so bad. And Donna got a glimpse of me from the back and... Only a couple of people have seen this picture, but from about my belt line down to my knee, I had a black bruise moving down, and that's when we decided this was probably a grade three bruise, which means, do you remember how long it takes one of those to heal? Three to four months. And God said, we're going to wait. In fact, healing from anything, emotional trauma, physical injury. It just takes time. God has an intimate relationship with time. It is a fixed experience. A minute takes a minute, a day, 24 hours. It takes the solar system an exact amount of time. In fact, this is how we learned how to tell time because of the predictability of how long something takes. My relationship with patience was, I didn't want to wait. And God said, now you're going to wait. And it's good to wait. 
Phil. It's good to wait. Because when you hurry, you miss who God is and what he's up to. And so I began to wait. Not because I wanted to, but because I had no choice. Because there was no way to hurry along the things that God was taking me into. And because I did become convicted that if patience is, in fact, a fruit of the Spirit... And if I ever go to my little pantry in my heart and I open it up and I'm looking for one of the fruit of the Spirit and I come up short that that fruit of the Spirit isn't available to me, whether it's love in a given moment or whether it's joy or peace, gentleness, self-control, you name it, if there's any fruit of the Spirit and I don't have it ready to pick off the tree and present it when it's ready, then I have a surrender problem with God. In other words, for all of us who are fully surrendered in our relationship with God, these things grow naturally. Well, for me, my tree might have had a lot of love, a good bunch of joy, a good bit of peace as well, but patience was completely absent. And so now, well, I don't have more patience, but I have a different relationship with patience because I want to be surrendered to God and allow him to teach me what he can only teach me when I wait. And so you have in your hands a, a little card. Pull it out. This, this verse is the verse that God drew me to several weeks ago while I was waiting for some things. And while I was discontent with what I was waiting for, God began to teach me something while I'm waiting. So here's how that works. I want something to be a certain way, and it's not that way. This happened while we were in the hospital. I was in the hospital for five days, and we had, I mentioned this on a Sunday, we had a room that faced uh, west, and from that hospital room, I could see the little area, this, this little bluff that's right over these hills. Our house is at the bottom of it. And, you know, the hospital's not a fun place. Nobody goes there willingly. And I could see where my house is, and I just remember thinking, I, I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And God said, that's not going to happen today. He said it through a doctor, but I think it was God. It's not going to happen today. And it's probably not going to happen tomorrow. You need to be here. Because what God can do here and what he will do for my healing right here, right now, is different than what he'll do later. Later you'll go home, but not today. So God drew me to this verse, which began to teach me what the issue was deep in my heart. And so this is the verse, we're going to learn it, and you're going to repeat after me. It's really simple, and if you do this with me for about a minute, you'll have it memorized, and you'll know it, and then you'll forget it tomorrow, and you'll look it up, and you'll go, oh yeah, that's how it goes. So let's do this. It's in four little sections. Just repeat after me. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. That wasn't bad. It's four little phrases. I bet some of you could do it now because you're super sharp. It's taken me all week to work on it. Say it with me. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, I don't know why God drew me to this verse, but it became sort of a mantra for me, something I repeated over and over again and pondered and read and looked at under different, trans different translations. And I began to see that God was teaching me something unique about this verse. And a peace came. And patience, I don't know, maybe a little, 
poked up from the dirt, a little bitty leaf that said, if you keep moving down this path and if you learn how to wait, you will experience something of God you've never experienced. The earth is the Lord's. And I thought, oh, the whole thing? The whole thing is the Lord's? The earth is a big place. You know how big it is. It's just massive. Some of you have been to all four corners. I've not. I've been to a few places. I'll never forget the moment that Austin, my son, and I landed in Sierra Leone. And as we got off the plane in Freetown, we saw armed guards waiting for us. Never experienced anything like that before. And I thought, this is different. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore sort of feeling. And then we thought, this is amazing. And we saw things that we couldn't have even dreamed or imagined. When Donna and I were maybe a mile or two from Chinese Tibet in Nepal. We were around natives there, people who make and live their home. They, they, they experience everything that we have never experienced. They live in such simple ways. And this began to paint a picture of how large the earth is. The circumference of the earth is almost 25,000 miles. It's a big place. And yet you and I, if you're my age and you went to Disney when you were growing up, you went through a little ride and the song said what? It's a small world. I don't know if you know the lyrics, but it talks about joys and pains and struggles and difficulties. It's a, it's a poignant song. And, and once it got in your head, you just wanted to punch somebody because it was just awful. It just would not leave your head. But if you look at the lyrics, you'll see that even though the earth is large, 25,000 miles around, it's still very, very small. And yet the earth is the Lord's. So say it with me again. Are you ready? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, I don't know if this perspective is one that you carry with you when you go to work or when you're in traffic and you see some people driving the way you wish they wouldn't, or maybe you're driving the wish they wouldn't. This is the perspective that God wants for us to understand as we try to live in this world and experience his goodness and maybe grow in patience, maybe for some of you to grow in love, maybe it's to grow in joy. I don't know what it would be for you, but the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so, as this verse began to take root in me, and I began to ponder what it really meant, it began to teach me that when I was impatient, I began acting like, and maybe you listened to church this morning. If not, it'll be online this week so you can catch up. This is kind of part two from this morning. If you understand the parable, and we'll explain the analogy, I was living like an owner instead of a tenant. An owner is in charge. An owner has the deed. An owner makes the rules. An owner, owner makes decisions. An owner decides. But the parable from Matthew 21 that we used this morning to paint a picture of where this verse is going explains that you and I are tenant farmers. We've been given a spot in this vineyard of the earth, and you've been given a responsibility to live in this place and to cultivate relationships and tend to the garden and clean the vines and to harvest the grapes and to press them in the presser and to make good wine and to store it and let it age properly. And all of these things are our responsibilities, but we've been given the responsibilities by the landowner, the God who has made all things. 
And so when I read Psalm 24.1, I am reminded that the earth doesn't belong to me. When I'm on Amazon or when I am impatient and I want what I want now, what I want the verse to say is, the earth belongs to Phil. All of it. And you can have what you want. I mean, you have the means. It's there in your bank account. You have what you need. Just reach out and grab it and take it. If you think it would make you content, whether it's controlled over another person or an item that you want to put in your house or another rung on the ladder at work, whatever it is, this is the thing that will give you contentment and happiness, and you don't have to wait for it. Take it now. Why? Because the earth belongs to you. And when we have this mentality, this heart, this attitude, which is so prevalent among people who follow Jesus and people who are still trying to figure out who God even is, then we are acting as if we own it, as if it belongs to us, as if it is ours. And Psalm 24 whispers in the background, and the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, which means you're not an owner. I know, you're a pretty big deal. And you get what you want when you want it. Me too. I know you're significant among your friends and you have a great reputation and I know you're a shaker and a mover and you can get things done, I know. But the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. And it doesn't belong to me. And it doesn't belong to you. And you can act like an owner if you want. And many of us do, most days. Probably every Tuesday or Thursday, I'm acting like an owner. And maybe you have this week as well. But until you surrender as a tenant, you will never know peace. And so the truth of this verse, if you live with it, And you know what it means to live with a verse? It means that you sit with it. It means that you read it in the quietness of some corner of your house where you can't be bothered. It means you ponder a phrase, you commit it to memory so that you don't have to look it up whenever you call it to mind. And so you walk with it every day. And you ask some of the people that you live with or some of the people that you know you're in relationship with, what does this mean to you? And does it fit your life? When does it not fit? That's what it means to live with a verse. And so if you make the decision to live with this little verse and commit it to memory and decide that it will take root in your heart, then some things will begin to shift. You might even desire to be a patient person. God might begin to shift some things in your perspective. You might decide that you're not an owner, that you are, in fact, a tenant. And for some of you, if you can make that leap from owner to tenant, from large and in charge to surrendered and humble, it will be the most freeing, the most liberating moment of your life. Because some of you, I can tell by your white knuckles, you're tired of gripping so hard. And you're tired of trying to muscle through. You're tired of trying to control. You're tired of hoping and wishing and shoving and trying to make things happen. And all you want to do is let go. And Psalm 24.1 teaches you that you can. You don't have to muscle through. 
You don't have to control the people in your lives. You don't even have to control what happens at work or in your family or even in your own heart. God is there to receive you when you're ready to surrender. And it will be the most liberating moment when you say, the earth does not belong to me. Thank goodness. I mean, you can't have everything. Where would you put it? I mean, this, this just doesn't work. I don't want control over this. It's too chaotic. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And for some of you, for some of you, embracing Psalm 24 is going to be the most frightening thing you've ever done because you have muscled through and it's worked for you. I mean, you got where you are because of the way you've handled issues, people, circumstances. And when people want to get things done, they come to somebody like you. And that will work for a while. But it will scare you to death to open your hands up before God and to say, I surrender. So God used patience to bring me to my knees. And he did it in a way that I surely didn't appreciate. But I'm so grateful for. And as he did, he taught me that time will march on and you will wait. And as you wait, the earth will spin. And as the earth spins, you will sit still and wait on me. And that's where you'll gain strength. And so God used injuries and sickness and slow and methodical healing to do that for me. I wonder what he'll do with you and for you. Some of you are in a spot right now where the message of Psalm 24-1 absolutely resonates with your heart. So let's do this. Uh, Josh is going to come up. The team's going to come up. They're going to lead us through one more song. This moment that you'll have over the next five to six minutes, it will not be repeated this week. You're among people that you love, people that love you, even if you don't know them. It's the body of Christ. It's the way the church works. And you've had a few moments to ponder a verse of Scripture that could change how you view the entire circumstance you're living in. And in a moment, you're going to hear some lyrics that will draw you to a place of worship. And worship, of course, is surrender, this moment of surrender that God's calling you to. And if you'll allow God to do it, he'll do something very unique in your life right now. So while they get ready, let me guide you through a prayer. And let's just allow God to do his thing. Lord, when we come in a place like this, this open air amphitheater, often we invite you here. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness because you were already here before we showed up. You were here. You were present. You've been present in this park all day long as families gathered and as people exercised and folks walked and sat by this little pond and considered who you are and who they are in light of you. Lord, we come to you knowing that surrender is the most difficult thing we will ever do because, well, we give up control. And Lord, if there's anything we like, it's control. I'm at the front of that line, Lord, and I confess it. I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. And Lord, this sickness, we ask that you would cure us of it. And so we declare this truth from the psalm that the earth is yours 
and everything that is in it, the entire world and all who live in it, image bearers with your name, everyone, everyone, every life. And so Lord, some of us have been waiting and we've grown impatient. Some of us have no love in our little, our little pantry of fruit the Spirit has been trying to grow love and joy and peace in us, but we've been about the business of managing our own life in such a way we have shut you out. And so just where you are right now in this open-air amphitheater, a posture of surrender uh, often looks like uh, hands open right in front of you. And so you can do that if you like. Open up your hands and place them right in front of you. It's you saying to God, I don't have it. And if I did have it, you could take it from me. And I surrender to you. So Lord, we declare that your name is beautiful. This, this place we're in is full of majesty. We look above us and we see no ceiling, just some clouds and a sky above. This is your cathedral. This is your place, and you inhabit it. You never leave it. Scriptures tell us it was dark and void and chaotic, and you spoke it into existence, and by that light we can see each other this day. And so by your grace, we surrender to you, Lord, that you would bring us to a place of being tenant farmers, humble tenant farmers, Lord, forgive us when we take the position of owner and creator. And so we surrender to you fully and completely, and we ask that these words that we worship with would recognize in us, deep within us, the posture of our hearts.